Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check in a little bit uh, and see if people have been exploring working with habits. We spoke the last couple of weeks uh, sharing about this uh, book, The Power of Habit, which I really recommend if you want to see how habits work and how you can strengthen ones that you uh, value and uh, replace ones that you don't. Um, any um, anybody experimenting with them this last week and anything to report, check in, ask about, anything like that? If you have been experimenting, I'm curious, raise your hand. I won't call on you necessarily if you raise it. Okay, all right. Now, if you raised your hand. <laughs> anything of value that anybody would want to share? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is of value, but um, I jumped. I jumped in the deep end and decided to try to work on uh, negative self-talk, mm-hmm. which I've been doing all my life. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a very hard habit to break because I. I can catch myself sometimes doing it, but I I automatically go to that uh, that mode, and uh, it's very easy for me to do that. But uh, I've uh, I've realized, or at least I, I've been able to um, come back and realize when I'm doing it. So, you know, baby steps, I guess. Huh? That's exactly yeah. it. It's it's the awareness that's the key to the change as long as the the whole shift will happen is uh, if you notice it and you can be kind in the noticing and just tune into the fact that it's an, an ingrained it, or it's a habit pattern that's been practiced a lot and so it's not going to change overnight but if you can have compassion for how deep the habit is and not blame yourself for falling in once again, then every time you notice it with a kind awareness, you are starting to transform your relationship to it. doesn't mean that you won't fall in you know, two minutes later, but if you can just notice it without judging it, the awareness itself is the is the start of the the shift, and then you might actually, in that kind awareness, be replacing it with some uh, kind self talk. Like in your wisest moments, what might you say to yourself? Or suppose, just switch it. Suppose you saw somebody else that fell into that negative self-talk habit, what would you want to remind them? 
from the kindest place in your heart? Boy, um, I didn't know it's going to be tested here. Uh, <laughs> this is <laughs> be kind to yourself. You can't fail this. One. <laughs> um, I would say that it's um, just consider it's a thought and that there's no uh, substance to it. Um, and that um, you're as good as anybody else. I mean, you're no better or no worse than anyone else. You're as good as anybody else. Okay. And could you say it to them with kindness? Absolutely. With real care, with a caring heart? I can be a lot kinder to people than I can to myself. Yeah, you're not alone in that one. Yeah. (laughs) So that perhaps, if you can practice that response... What did you say? It's just the thought, there's no substance, and you're as good as anybody else. Just imagine talking to somebody else inside there, (laughs) or maybe stepping outside and talking to this being called Philip. Um, If you can have perhaps that, whatever the words that do it for you, and practice that particular response so that it becomes more automatic. Oh, it's just a thought. It has no substance. You're as good as anybody else. Or whatever words really ring true for you, and just practice that. If you can have that connection in your mind, oh, there it is. Uh, it's just a thought. It has no substance. Whatever. For me, I, as I've shared with you before, you know, for a few years, every time I'd notice those negative thoughts, I'd just say in the kindest voice, oh, judging, judging, and with, a, with a real compassion. It's like, and I sometimes touch my, my cheek, oh, it's okay, it's just judging, judging. Two years, that was my practice. It took me a while, but... You know, what, what, what else are you going to do? What's your alternative? Beat yourself up? So, uh, you know, and it's just, you're in the process of somebody who is learning more and more. And every time you remember, feel great about it. So that it just kind of deepens that positive reinforcement. Don't blame yourself when you forget, but every time you remember, ah, okay, did it. Oh, I'm in the process of learning. So anyway, thank you for sharing and experimenting. Okay, all right. Well, let's let's get on with uh, with the topic for for the evening. So, thanks. This uh, uh, this morning and the first part of the day, I was in a. Um, family council meeting. I'm on the family uh, program council committee at Spirit Rock, <clears throat> which I've been part of for uh, since the beginning. And we get together every, um, oh, three months or so <clears throat> to see how the family program is going and what needs to be attended. And we have a check-in at the beginning of of our meetings, just saying how we're doing and it was it was 
you know, as you probably go to meetings and people check in, this is not a, a, an unusual thing. And it's a nice way to feel connection and rapport. And each person that would go around, it was really striking. One, one person who, who went, uh, went around said, oh, I'm going through a lot of stress these days, and blah, 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 and she, she shared why. And somebody else shared um, a, a, some challenge in their, their life. And then somebody uh, uh, said, I'm in the happiest place I've ever been in my life. And everybody all of a sudden just got so happy. It was amazing. You know? and, then, and then the next person, maybe it was just kind of contagious, but the next person said, you know, my life is going really well right now too. You know? And we got happier again. Like, wow, you know. And it was, it just kind of, somebody else was, not everybody was happy, happy, happy. You know, there was, you know, the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows in uh, uh, eight or nine people in, in the room. But it was so interesting how you hear something and, you know, your heart might go out, oh, I'm so sorry. And really feel, we, we know each other. There now. Oh, yes. And genuine compassion, which has its own sweetness as well. And then, I'm in this great place. I don't know how I got here, but I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. Oh, and it's this contagion that we have, that we're affected by each other, you know, so, um, so powerfully and so, uh, so incessantly, continuously, we're always taking in energy from somebody and from those around us. And I've talked about this before. If our energy field is stronger, is, is, um, is a stronger field than the, than the one, ones we're near, then our energy might affect them for better or worse. And if the energy from around us is stronger than where we are, either negative or positive, it, uh, it can tune us into a different frequency. And of course, whether or not things are uh, delight or sorrow, um, this, is, this is not about just being happy all the time. It's about being real. Uh, and our practice here is to be with what is. So it's certainly you want to, as the Buddha advised, um, be around the company of the wise, of people who aren't so caught in their negativity that um, you're doing continual bodhisattva practice. Um, but when people are going through hard times, it's very... Um, not only helpful, but um, a, a very essential practice to be able to be open to that as well. So, 
that got me to um, thinking what, something that's been on my mind and probably uh, on many of uh, our minds uh, this week with the, the Boston Marathon experience. Uh, and I, I realized that there was a kind of sadness that I'd been carrying around this week, especially when it's a, a kind of celebratory event that then is uh, it turns into a tragedy, and with visual images that we see over and over, how impactful that is. And I was listening to somebody um, on uh, I was on Terry Gross today, I guess it was um, Fresh Air. And this person who's done a lot of um, documentaries on on tragedies in war said that the if it's if the event happens in in a place where there's going to be a lot of um, filming, a lot of uh, uh, video these days, that is the thing that amplifies it in everybody's consciousness. Um, so the fact that I was affected and many people are affected it, uh, by just the sadness, by the, the, the craziness in, in, in this world <clears throat> and as perhaps it, across, it crossed your mind that you know, this is, it's a very rare event in our culture and this is something that so many cultures and countries are experiencing on a daily basis, if not more than daily basis, explosions and killing and fear. And fear is the is the great um, enemy of consciousness. Um, just how to hold it? How do how do you hold it all? And uh, I wanted to share a little bit from my favorite writer, Mark Morford, who I quote from from time to time. He had a, just a very uh, moving column this week <clears throat> that he called uh, Exploding Your Emotional Bandwidth as a way that to open up this conversation. We are not built for this. We are not designed at our core to be able to absorb at a glance and a click, a tweet and a ruthless video feed all the ills and horrors of the world all at once, all manner of chaos and destruction in a nonstop bloody flood over which we are powerless to influence and impotent to stop. The Boston bombings have forced us once again to ask, are we in an age of miracles or misery? Unhindered magic or cruel dystopia, is it both? How can it possibly be both? This tech-enabled onslaught of violence and pain, the likes of which our ancestors, even as recently as 50 years ago, never had to deal with and could not possibly imagine. It is not within our emotional capacity, not without serious scarring anyway. As the images of blood and mayhem flooded the newswires on Monday as the tragedy unfolded across a billion tiny screens in real time, 
as my Twitter feed lit up in seconds, instantly jammed with bizarre and disquieting images, frantic claims, uninformed hysteria, and little video clips of that one old man crumbling to the ground in a, he- in a heap, we can only blink and shake, hold our collective heads and say, Where, what the hell is this? What have we become? Perhaps most importantly, how can we possibly process it all? What can we do? The answer is almost always the same, but increasingly lost in the modern bedlam of technology. In times of violent, faraway tragedy, you do the only thing possible. You gather in, hold tight, and take care of those close to you. As feeble as it sounds, as meek as you feel, this is the only way, this is also the best way to help, to be a part to avoid shutting down, hardening, adding more suspicion and mistrust to the world. It took a while, but I finally heard this advice just a few precious times amid the insanity of news. Go be with your family. Connect more intimately with those around you. Recognize the ancient teaching that is so easy to forget in the instant everything madness, the karma of the world, be it Boston or Africa, Syria, or sexually abused suicidal teen girls, is not yours to take on. Attempt to to shoulder the horrors and brutalities of the world and watch yourself die. Besides, despite the horrific images, there was plenty to be heartened by. Did you notice, while the bombings were likely accomplished by a single person or small number of people, the wild outpouring of love and support, the hundreds if not thousands of first responders, police, firemen, medical personnel, various citizens who rushed to help, who donated blood, not to mention the millions who poured out love and support via messages and blogs, kind words and nonpartisan stories, was sort of staggering. That was sort of a wonder. As debilitating and depressing as the bombings were, the reaction was just the opposite and far larger. This is the most essential reminder of all, is it not? A handful of violent sociopaths will never match, much less defeat, the support and care of tens of millions. Those who wish to harm and damage upon those who wish harm and damage upon humanity will never outnumber those who enable, empower, and heal. The odds are in our favor. They always are. This is why we're still alive. Maybe the only reason. It is amazing the capacity of the human mind and the human heart to be perpetrating cruelty and anger and rage and hate and to open up with love and caring and deep compassion and nobility as uh, Solzhenitsyn said you know if only it were so easy if only we could only put all the the evil people in the world uh, aside and 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 get rid of them, but the the line between love and hate 
cuts across every human heart and, and who's willing to uh, destroy a piece of their own heart. We have it. We have this capacity in us if we are depending upon what our environment is, what gets cultivated, we, the human heart and the human mind can be made to open up to love, compassion, or anger and fear. I had this conversation with somebody close to me who said, I can't believe he's America. I can't believe how we are here in this country. And I was, I take the, uh, the attitude of it's not America, it's the human experience, that the human mind and heart can be shaped any which way. And so how do we want to have our, heart, our hearts shaped when we hear tragedies like this? How do we? How can we hold it without being uh, completely despairing or frustrated and uh, and um, discouraged by the human spirit when we focus on the one small aspect of the event and forget about all the love and the response that comes comes through? This is from uh, How Can I Help. Our morbid fascination with news and gossip. It's as if our vicarious involvement with the trials and tribulations of others engages us in the life process in a way that we seem to need but also want to be able to control. We want to watch it but be able to turn it off at will. The heart that's engaged is not a heart that's overwhelmed or broken. He says, fear is the mind's reaction against the inherent generosity of the heart. Because the heart knows no bounds to its giving, the mind feels called upon to define limits. That again, fear is the mind's reaction against the inherent generosity of the heart. It's like, oh, I really want to care. I really want to connect. Oh, what if that, what if that happens to me? Or I don't want to touch it. It's too much. And I think there's a, a real value in knowing how much to take in and how much not to. You can't just be completely open to all the pain and suffering and sorrow in the world because um, you get overwhelmed. And that's where compassion is held with equanimity, where you need enough space to process things without being overwhelmed. But to either shut off or be completely overwhelmed, either of those, there's, there's a real price to pay. This is um, this is from Lewis Thomas. He wrote uh, "Lives of a Cell." He's a, uh, an incredible, um, profoundly wise scientist. Who, and that book is from 
I think, 60s or so. He says, I maintain, despite the moment's evidence against the claim, that we are born and grow up with a fondness for each other. And we have genes for that. We can be talked out of it, for the genetic message is like a distant music, and some of us are hard of hearing. Societies are noisy affairs, drowning out the sound of ourselves and our connection. Hard of hearing, we go to war. Stone deaf, we make thermonuclear missiles. Nonetheless, the music is there, waiting for more listeners. We are born and grow up with a fondness for each other, and we have genes for that. And it's true, we have gene, we are, our brains are wired up for compassion, that when we see someone going through some sorrow or suffering, unless we are really damaged or cut off from our connection, cut off from the, mu- from the, the music, from hearing the, the music, our mirror neurons light up as if we're experiencing it. And sometimes it can be um, too much to experience at once. But sometimes it can be the thing that absolutely connects us together, where we feel our humanity, where our our heart is softened and tender and touched by the sublime state of caring, the sublime state of, of compassion, which needs suffering to be evoked. We have this capacity. So first I, I just want to um, ask, ask you to... Um, Maybe we can share some together. How do you hold something like this so that it's not uh, overwhelming and that you, uh, you can process it in a way that doesn't lead you to despair? Just think for yourself in your wisest moments, in your wisest moments, how do you hold it? You might close your eyes for a moment. You hear news like that, and it's so sad. How do you keep from shutting off completely and turning your back on? the society and humanity and how do you process it in your wisest moments? And if you have no clue, then maybe how do you process it as you do and just be honoring of 
the way you are, mm, you've practiced responding, but see it with, with real kindness and compassion. So I think, actually, before we have um, a larger discussion, I think uh, I'd like you to just uh, share with a couple of other people and hear your own wisdom, um, or hear somebody else's wisdom, or feel their uh, their heart. And we'll just take a few minutes. You can do it like in two or three people and just turn to somebody near you and we'll come back in a few minutes and explore it. And I want to do a, 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 a guided practice towards, uh, towards the end of the, the evening. Just share, how do you process it in your wiser moments? Okay, start finishing up. So you can uh, finish up and thank your partners in a moment. So, uh, any uh, anything that came up from the sharing that um, you want to share with the larger group? Any insights, understandings? Well, there's so much to say. Um, Real close. One sort of question we were discussing was whether to suppress reaction. Like, is it bad to actually just go with getting totally upset about an event like this and observe yourself getting upset? Or should you try to manipulate your own attention and mood? Like, when do you stop it? How far do you let it go? Uh And that's just one thing we talked about. We didn't have an answer. Uh Um, What do you think? Is it I think you should go as far as as, you, as as far as your own balance of mind will let you to feel what you're feeling, but that's an, an idea. Sounds pretty good to me. As far as your own balance of mind will let you feel, yeah. If you have if you have the energy for it, and that can change depending upon you know what day it is or how much sleep you got last night or what else is going on in your life. That for me is the is the general guideline to let myself feel it if I can be balanced and really um, if I have the energy and the time and I'm and I'm not like trying to do 10 other things to just say oh wow okay this is another part of the human experience uh, but when it gets like we were talking back there when it gets to be so much or overwhelming that you you just your your heart will break then it can be important not so much suppress but just um take a break and uh get some some space if there's not that balance of mind so it sounds like you're to me that sounds right on what you're saying but letting yourself feel it even if it's just for a little um 
you're connected to the human experience. But you also have to, like, like Morford said, remember to let yourself feel all the joys and all the goodness in life. Because if you're, if you're only, you can have your radar out and get activated and then it starts being, you know, tuning into this awful thing I've got to let myself feel and this awful thing. That's what sells newspapers. So, of course, you know, not that many read uh, newspapers that have just lovely stories of compassion and, and, and goodness. Uh, it won't sell many papers. So you want to be you know, titrating your dukkha, as, we, as we've mentioned here before. And just, you take it in, oh yeah, that's part of the human experience. And as I like to point out, look at all the goodness around and that that kind of gives you some space to hold the uh, the sorrow that's how I see it anyway any anybody else yeah uh you pass it raise your hand yeah I think what came up for me james is um um we we I cannot rationalize this at all. I cannot use my rational mind to think about what's happening because it's incredibly senseless. Um, the human life in the United States or in the West is far more valuable than anywhere else in the world. The and human life, say again. The human life, when one dies in the U.S., is such a huge deal. Uh-huh. But we have villages and... Mm-hmm. Families dying every day in Syria, yeah. and and there is no emotional charge to it. It's not there has no place in the rhetoric or our discourse in this country, because the political barriers and the economic barriers are serving their purpose. I mean, for me as a global citizen, as somebody who lives with a global consciousness, I feel sad for the loss of any human life. Yeah. But when I see the reaction the rhetoric, the attention that it gets, I look around and I'm like, wow, I just watched the, the Frontline documentary about Syria two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And the kind of loss of a human life is incredibly huge. Yeah. Yet we do not have a single feeling about it. Mm-hmm. So I invoke chaos theory. And I remember that I am incredibly powerless over how the universe is working itself out. Mm-hmm. And I find a way to detach from it because it doesn't make any sense at all. Very... Yes, I do. (laughs) On myself. My understanding of the chaos theory is that he does have an impact on the unraveling of the universe. One person's thoughts does change the unfolding of the universe in the same way one butterfly's wings fluttering down in South America changes our weather here in the Bay Area. Both are true. <laughs> and, and, and what you're saying, that it makes no sense at all, we can't comprehend. The human mind can't comprehend, just like we can't comprehend you know, earthquakes and volcanoes and world systems arising and 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 disappearing you know this is and and life 
feeding on life. It's, it's part of the incomprehensible game. Uh, and, and you're saying something you know, very important. We, we are so moved by, by one image in Boston and then in every day, you know, when the Iraq war was, was happening, every day the thousands and thousands, you know, and it was, and we often focus on how many soldiers were killed, you know. This is, um, it's beyond the human comprehension. That's where the mind can't hold it, only the heart can open to it. So I, I appreciate your comment. Mm. Anything else? Yeah, Jim. Yeah. Um, I was talking with a friend a week or two ago about another in another context about the the difference between Tibetan practice of Tonglen and um, sort of a New Agey thing. A New Agey thing being you know you breathe in on the life and breathe out all the the dirt that's inside of you, and the Tonglen says, uh, you know, look around you and see the, the pain and the suffering in the world and the tragedy and the evil and breathe that in. And then within you, let the, you know, whatever, I, I, I won't get Tonglen explanation properly by a long shot, but w- whatever is within you with the life, just let, let uh, compassion come back out of you. And so instead of being afraid of it, mm-hmm. bring it into yourself and experience mm-hmm. it and, 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 you know, let those mirror neurons do their things, but, but kind of Supplement with supplementing it with breath stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, actually, well, that's the perfect lead-in because that's what I wanted to do with us to now. I wanted to, uh, especially with Tara. Uh, I'm going to be with Tara next next week, and uh, she just uh, came out with this book um, a little while ago. True Refuge: Finding Peace and Freedom in Your Own Awakened Heart, and I wanted to share. Um, her version of Tonglen that we could all do together. And, and as Jim is saying, Tonglen in that practice, you breathe in the suffering of the world or of others, and it touches your pure heart, your, a place in you that's not overwhelmed by it, but that is, um, you know, your Buddha nature, your, the, the brilliance of your. Uh, of your unfabricated uh, compassion, and it transforms the suffering into compassion that you breathe out. So I thought we could do a little of this um, to to end. Okay, so this will be a little bit of a meditation. This will be a meditation. So why don't you um, sit up? Sit in a way that you can be relaxed and alert. And let go of any tension in your body and just let your mind settle. And just take a, a moment to sense stillness and openness that's right here. This is a, a reconnection with our awakened heart and mind. Now bring your attention to the natural rhythm and quality of your breath. As your breath 
flows in. Allow yourselves cells to receive this life energy. With each in-breath, open with total receptivity, like a balloon gently expanding with air. Be aware of the experience of no resistance, of allowing yourself to be touched by the sensations of the breath. With the out-breath, notice the sensations of letting go and releasing into the space that surrounds you. Imagine your total body and consciousness flowing outward with the breath and mingling with the vastness of space. Breathe out into relaxation, ease, and spaciousness. the essence of receiving, being touched with the in-breath and letting go into openness with the out-breath. And now invite your awareness to bring someone to mind who you might know personally who is suffering, someone who touches you. You can do this either that way or if you want to um, bring up somebody or an image of Boston or some other situation, you can do that as you like. Imagine maybe somebody in that crowd if you prefer to do it that way. And now imagine yourself in that person's circumstances, experiencing their fear or hurt or loss. What is it like to look at the world through these eyes, live inside this particular body, feel with this heart? What's the most vulnerable, painful part of this person's experience? What does he or she most need? Now breathing in, invite all this pain into your heart. Allow yourself to feel it fully. Inhale and take the pain into yourself so the other person will have relief. And as you breathe out, respond to their needs by sending out relaxation, space, love, or whatever will bring ease and happiness. Now 
You might notice sometimes as you inhale that you'll meet your own resistance to pain. And if that happens, shift the focus and breathe for yourself and countless others just like you who are feeling the same stuckness, anger, revulsion, or fear. And as you breathe out, offer whatever helps you and others like you find space and relief. As your resistance softens, return to breathing for the person you intend to help. As you inhale, let the person's pain touch you. Feel how he or she is held in your heart. And as you exhale, send whatever prayer or expression of care feels most sincere or most needed. Now enlarge the taking in and sending out to include all those who are in the same situation, experiencing the same kind of suffering. If the person is grieving a loss, breathe in and out for all those who are experiencing the pain of loss. If they feel like a failure, breathe in and out for all those who feel like failures. Sense as you breathe in the unconditional willingness, tenderness, and receptivity of your heart. And as you breathe out, the vastness of loving awareness that is here holding this world. And as you continue breathing, opening to the universal experience of this suffering and letting go into spaciousness and prayer, as your heart opens to the enormity of suffering, you become that openness. As you offer your tenderness, your awareness becomes suffused with compassion. In that openness, it's all moving through you in 
and sending out compassion. Nothing needs to get stuck. It's all in the open space of loving presence. You might, as we bring this to a close, put your hand right on your heart and feel that tenderness. An appreciation for yourself, for the capacity that the heart has to be touched and send out caring and compassion. connecting with the human experience. And just as we bring it to a close, know that Part of the compassionate heart is knowing how to take care of yourself as well. So when it becomes too much, know that there can be a wisdom in knowing what your limits are and nourishing yourself with connecting with all the goodness in your life and all the goodness in life around you. May all hold their suffering with compassion and feel all the love that's inside and share it well. May all wake up to their true nature, a heart as wide as the world. Thank you. If you got stirred up or feel a little bit like it's too much, uh, then um, do the loving kindness practice and surround yourself with the goodness of your heart and all the love around you. So have a few good weeks and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.